Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is episode number 112. Uh, probabilities are inconsequential to the question of free will. Uh, before we get into that, my co-host Anel isn't here. Again, he's our on-again, off-again co-host. He'll be here next week. And all right, let's get on with this. Um, before, yeah, before we get into the main theme, just like I, I do on all the shows, I first want to go through some basic definitions of what we mean when we say we have free will. If we had a free will, we'd be able to choose what we wanted to choose independently of anything we aren't in control of, like our unconscious, like our conditioning, like our genetics. Um, okay, um, another way of understanding the question is, if we had free will, we would um, be fundamentally morally responsible. In other words, um, we hold ourselves responsible, you know, and each other responsible because for pragmatic reasons. Because we, you know, we know like if there's a threat of punishment for ourselves and others, that serves as a deterrent. All right, but but like. That's pragmatic responsibility. It's different from fundamental. We, we don't have fundamental uh, moral responsibility because we don't have a free will. But like you know, if we did have a free will, we would be fundamentally morally responsible. Another one definition is like if we had a free will, we'd be able to do otherwise. You know, like you know, the question would become like, well, could you have chosen otherwise? And well, obviously you couldn't have because like. If you would have chosen otherwise, you would have been a different person and the universe would have been different. But anyway, these are the basic definitions of free will. Um, the importance of this show, just before we get into this, um, this is a really important show. I mean, our, our world is, is completely diluted about the second, second fundamental fact of human existence. You know, um, you know, again, it's not our fault. You know, we're, we're compelled. We, our, belie our world believes this because we have to. But um, but to the extent we overcame this belief in free will, it'd be a brand new world. It'd be a brand new human consciousness. It'd be it'd be an evolutionary re leap like no other that that we've experienced thus far on the planet. You know, since civilization, and you know, because it would be a you know most of like most of our evolution takes place physiologically, but this would be an evolution again into a new, uh, an entirely new consciousness. You have to understand. A consciousness that believes that what we do is up to us and a consciousness that understands that absolutely nothing is up to us. These are categorically different ways of seeing the world. Okay, That's how big this is. The philosopher John Searle, he was like um, the, mo the 13th most quoted philosopher since 1900, American philosopher. He said like for free will to be shown to be an illusion. This is like on my previous episodes, how I started the show. It would be a bigger revolution in our thinking than Einstein, Copernicus, Darwin, Galileo, and Newton. Okay, it would, it would alter, you know, everything. All right, so that's how big this is. Okay, probabilities. Um, all right, the, just go with um, the basic, ref the reason we don't have free will is what's generally termed determinism. I like to refer to it as causality. Determinism is the idea that, like, if you knew everything, that <clears throat> the position and momentum of every object in the universe and the laws acting upon them, you could predict anything into the future and you could know 
the entire past. Okay, we can't do that. We don't know that. To God, to the universe, I guess it knows that. But we can't. Okay. Now, what happened is like, so like before, before quantum mechanics, everybody accepted in science that, that everything happens for, everything has a cause. That like, in other words, like to, to measure and predict phenomenon, you could simultaneously measure, let's say, an object like a grapefruit or a baseball's position and momentum and thereby derive a prediction, an accurate prediction of its future behavior. Okay? And the, the reason for that is like, you've got to, let's say you're measuring the movement of a baseball. This is, I think, probably how they do this in the major leagues when they determine how fast the pitch is going and all. You, you, you fire like a, um, a particle, let's say a photon, at the baseball as it's moving, all right? Now, since the baseball is so much bigger than this photon, you could fire the, the photon on it and you could measure its posi position, okay, <clears throat> without it without affecting its momentum, okay? In other words, you know, you fire it at it, and the, the, the baseball, the, the impact of the little photon is so small, it's not going to alter the momentum, the, the direction and velocity of the baseball, okay? That's why you can use standard Newtonian classical physics at the macro level, okay? Now, when you get to the level of subatomic physics, the micro level, the, uh, the quantum level, you've got a photon, right? let's say you're measuring an electron. They're about the same size, you know, relatively. So what happens, like, there, you can use two kinds of photons. If you use a, um, a high-energy, short-wavelength photon, it's going to concentrate the, the, the power. It's going to, like, find the position, okay, because it's a short wavelength. It's going to find the position of the electron, but it's going to impact with the electron, and then the electron is going to veer off into a different trajectory, into different momentum. And that's why you can't simultaneously measure the position and momentum of the electron at the quantum level because, you know, this interference. Okay. Um, now, if you, let's say particles have wave and particle properties. So this photon, let's say we use a, um, a low energy, long wavelength particle. So like, so this way, so like instead of it being like a tiny little dot, it's like we're, we're describing it more in its wave. So like we're firing it at the electron and because it's a long wavelength, low energy, it's not going to affect the momentum or trajectory of this electron, okay? The electron is going to continue on its path, but, so, so you, you'll find the momentum, but you won't be able to, to precisely know its position, okay? And this has, like, been explained mathematically, you know, because, like, all this, this the position, the energy, the, these, these, these aspects of the behavior can be quantified, you know, quantized. And so mathematically, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that uh, Warner Heisenberg came up with in 1927 explains mathematically why, as I should just showed you, you can't simultaneously measure the position momentum of a particle, you know, at the subatomic level. Okay, now here's the thing. Because, because of this, in, in, in classical mechanics, as we said before, you can predict the behavior of a baseball simply through, through firing the photon and measuring it through classical means. Okay? Now, because you can't do this at the quantum level, you have to rely on probabilities. 
Now, what does that mean? That means that, like, you take a photon. Again, you can't measure the simultaneous position momentum of a single particle with the photon because the photon is going to, like, affect its uh, momentum. So, but what you can do is, like, you have a group of, let's say, a thousand electrons that you want to you want to measure, you want to find out the behavior of each single electron, but you can't do it through classical means. So what you have to do is like, you'll fire the photon at the group of, of particles, all right? And it's not going to be a completely accurate description because like, you know, you'll get a little interference, but you'll get some data. You'll get a, a, a kind of like um, a ballpark figure of its position and momentum, all right? But you do this, let's say, a thousand times, okay? You just fire, you know, you have, you try to have the same conditions as much as possible. A group of electrons coming like this, the photon measuring the entire group, again, not just one particle. And so, like, you're, you, you have some measurement. You have a measurement that's not completely precise. So now what happens is, like, they do this a thousand times, whatever, um, and they'll get a collection, this data set. Of these, of these, you know, of all these measurements, and that is how quantum mechanics works. They derive probabilities based on this data set, based on this completely classical Newtonian measurement, simultaneous um, position momentum measurement of the group of particles. All right. So what I'm trying to say is here that quantum mechanic relies on classical mechanics for it to work. You can't have a quantum, quantum mechanical measurement prediction without, the, the probabilities, whatever, without first measuring those groups of particles through classical mechanics. Okay, so basically the point is that in classical mechanics, everything is deterministic in the sense that you could use this classical way of measuring things to determine the outcome, the, the behavior of the particle. In quantum mechanics, you have to rely on the probabilities. Okay, now here's the thing. The confusion that a lot of philosophers make, a lot of psychologists, non-physicists, whatever, is that they mistakenly conclude that the behavior of this group of electrons or the behavior of this single electron is probabilistic. No, it's the measurement. It's the technique that we use for measuring its um, its momentum and position that's probabilistic. Okay, so like you know they, um, I mean it doesn't make sense anyhow because a lot of times people say, well, they understand that if everything has a cause, if everything is deterministic, then we can't have a free will because they understand that, you know. If we make a decision, there's a cause to that decision, then there's going to be a cause to that cause and a cause to that cause. And these causes always go back in time, moment by moment. And you describe, you can describe these causes most fundamentally, comprehensively, as like the state of the universe yeah, at the moment before the decision and the state of the universe the moment before the cause of the decision and all that. And if you follow this chain of cause and effect back, it regresses back to um, the Big Bang. So that's the basic reason we don't have free will. So then um, some philosophers and um, psychologists have said, well, because at the quantum level, you know, um, they, they, they wrongly say that particle behavior is indeterministic. It is deterministic. It's just we can't, because of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, we can't 
precisely measure that. It, you know, again, there's causes for the for the particle behavior. But anyway, they call it indeterministic. They say that like quantum mechanics is a stochastic or <laughs> it's it's probabilistic. That basically, you know, what what they're trying to say. The mistake that again that these philosophers and um, and sci- um, some psychologists make is in ascribing the probabilities not to the, to the technique, not to the, to the way by which we predict the particle, but to the particle behavior. Um, as I've just explained, if I, as I've just explained, um, particle behavior is not probabilistic. It's the measuring process, it's the, the process we use to, to predict the particle behavior that is probabilistic. And again, you know, these probabilities are derived from classical measurements of the, of the groups of particles. Okay? So, and even like, you know, when, you know, so these philosophers especially, they'll say, well, because, you know, because, again, wrongly, you know, particle behavior at the subatomic level is probabilistic, that provides an opening for free will. But even that, think about that. If, if, our, if our decisions are based on probabilities, that's not a free will. We will probably decide to do this as opposed to that. Well, what's determining the probabilities? You know, that's the thing. If you say we're determining the probabilities, you can either say that, um, well, there's a cause for our determining the probabilities or there are probabilities for what is making us determine the probabilities i mean i think you understand like to say the probabilities even if even if quantum behavior was actually probabilistic it's not but even if it was you know these probabilities would have to either be causal in terms of having causes or not causal in terms of not having causes and again like a lot of, you know, when quantum mechanics first came out, they said, well, you know, not everything is deterministic. But the opposite to deterministic, pretty, pretty much, is things happening without a cause. In other words, um, I mean, you can't, you, can't, you can't imagine that. They're, they're, saying, they're saying that behavior at the subatomic level doesn't have causes. It's, that's absurd. Everything has to have a cause. They're, they're saying it just happens. But let's say, let's say we, we, um, we went with that. Let's say, fine, you know, let's say the particle behavior doesn't have causes. Well, you can't get from that that we have a free will because the best you could get would be that our choices, our decisions, our feelings, our actions don't have causes. You know, there's no way to get from, like, particle behavior at the quantum level doesn't have causes to therefore we have a free will. They finally get this. And that's why sometimes they try to confuse the matter with this probabilistic stuff. Okay. So, I think we've pretty much covered this. Yeah, we're halfway through the show. And that's good because I'm tired. I I just taped two other shows. And no, you know what? I'm going to go through this again because why not? You know, I mean, this is maybe difficult to understand. Okay. At the macro level, you know, level of of everyday objects, grapefruits, baseballs, planets, you can take a photon, fire it at a baseball, and simultaneously measure the baseball's position and momentum. Okay, you can do that. Because the measuring particle is so small, it's not going to affect the momentum, the direction and velocity of the baseball. Okay, 
that's why we can predict the um, the orbits of planets and the you know the, the the movements of stars and all. Okay, now when you're at the subatomic level, what happens is like no longer is you have a teeny 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 little photon measuring this huge huge baseball and you know like. The, the difference between them is immense. Now you're having a photon measuring an electron that they're relatively the same size or another elementary particle. And so when you fire that photon at the electron or whatever the particle, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an impact. In other words, like you fire at it and you get the position, okay? But you can't simultaneously get a precise position and momentum. The momentum is going to change. Again, momentum is direction and velocity, Okay, so that's why you can't use classical mechanics at the quantum level. All right, so you can't do that. That's accepted, as I said before. This is dem this is shown mathematically by the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Nobody refutes it. Nobody, you know, you can't do that. Fine. So what do you do to get um, quantum mechanical predictions? You have to. You still have to take a measurement. But instead of measuring one particle, you measure a whole group of them—a thousand, a million—I don't know how many. But so when you're when you're firing one photon at this group, you know because it's so it's it's kind of like takes on the the character of a baseball. It's, this group is so big that the ba that the little photon isn't really affecting its momentum. It, it affects it a little. But what happens is all right. So you get a much more you get a relatively precise um, measurement of the group. But you don't you don't have any information yet about like each individual particle within the group, okay? And that's where the probabilities come in. So what happens is like you do this, you take this measurement a thousand times, okay? And from this measurement, if you've got you've got a thousand different results, they're not going to be all the same, you know, because you can't get that precise with the measurement. So you've got this data set of all these like thousand different measurements, and then based on that data set, quantum mechanics derives the probabilities that are needed to then determine what the momentum and the position of each individual particle in that group is going to be or what any you know so that that is what the probabilities are about probabilities are a tool a measuring tool a, a way to measure the predict the, the behavior of particles it's not a description of the particle behavior again when you have a group when you have a single particle traveling through space and being hit um, by a photon that's a completely causal process the the photon is, is knocking into the the electron it's causing it to move into a different trajectory into a different momentum again when you have a group of particles and you're firing the, the, the photon, there is going to be that interference, but it's going to be slight, but it's entirely causal. So what I'm trying to say is like behavior at the subatomic level is not probabilistic. It's like, you know, this an atom is not going to probably, you know, um, move you know have a different momentum once once the photon hits it. It's absolutely going to. We don't know what that momentum is going to be. But, you know, again, the behavior is not probabilistic. It's causal. You know, there, there are causes for it. Okay, and again, there, you know, some philosophers say, well, you know, at the subatomic level, I have to repeat this because most people, you know, don't think about this too much. So at the subatomic level, some philosophers mistakenly say that the probabilities that are derived 
are not the measuring tool that they're the actual behavior of the particles and that's what's wrong but even like even if again if you were to say fine let's say let's say you know give you the benefit of the, of the doubt let's say particle behavior was probabilistic how would that give you free will i mean what 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 is a probabilistic decision if 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 you know if you're making your de- your decisions based on probabilities you know, are you controlling the probabilities? And if you are controlling the probabilities, that means that you're controlling, you're causing the probabilities. But if you're causing the probabilities, as we explained before, every cause must have, must have a cause. So you have a cause to that cause of the probabilities, a cause before that. And the other alternative is that, like, you're not causing the probabilities, you're not causing the decision, um, and therefore the decision doesn't have a cause, and you can't attribute an uncaused decision to a free will okay i think i think you understand why probabilities hold no no um possible rescue for a free will um another and i'm just going to segue to another couple of um free will defenses that are offered that just also make no sense um some some philosophers will claim that well you know if you fire a photon, let's say, at an electron, and the photon will be the cause of the electron changing its momentum. But some philosophers will say, human beings are different. Human beings, like, they'll say that a human being can make a decision, can cause a decision, an intention or something, but the the causal relationship between a human being and the decision is not causal. It's an absurd contention. It's 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 like saying that it's like saying that um, a person can cause an uncaused an uncaused decision. Like the person's decision is both caused and uncaused at the same time. And again, it's it's an absurd contention. <clears throat> but the best even that could get you would be that um, the decision was uncaused. You know, and and sometimes they'll say it was caused in a way that is not conventional. But even you know, you have to understand if it was caused, it was caused. It doesn't matter what way it was caused. So if it was caused in a certain way, it's going to have a cause, and that's going to have a cause. Okay, so that's like that's that's one misconception that these physicists have, or the philosophers. Another thing they'll say is that um, that these these decisions are causa sui. They don't, you know, they're the cause of themselves, you know, or, or the, the person that's making the decision is making it for no cause, for no reason. So let's go with the decision first. If the decision is causa sui, is the cause of itself, then clearly we couldn't have caused it, okay? So it, it can't be attributed to a free will or a will or a human being. If the person making the decision, you know, is making that decision, well, I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to explain this. It's so incoherent. They're saying, some people say that, like, the, the person at the moment of the decision is cause a sweet or something. It, it's incomprehensible. But again, as Galen Strawson, this, um, this philosopher who gets this, you know, he's got this basic argument um, why free will is impossible. And he calls it the basic argument. He says nothing can be cause of sweet. Nothing can be the cause of itself. 
So so that's another way to, to refute another kind of like an attempt people, you know, philosophers have made to, to, to salvage free will. It's impossible. Another one is that like some things just happen. It's called ex nihilo, something out of nothing. There's a, a physicist, Lawrence Krauss, that just came out with a book, I think something from nothing or something. And, and actually, you know, it's, it's a misnomer. You can't have something coming from nothing. Like, for example, God, okay, when God created the universe, you know, or the world, whatever, um, God didn't create something from nothing. If God is eternal, the only thing that God could have created the world from would have been God. So, so basically, all this is God. We're God, you're God, I'm God, it's all God. So, and the idea behind this is like nothing can just come out of nothing. Nothing comes out of nothing. You have to have something to start with something. <laughs> Another way to understand it is the law of conservation of mass energy. Um, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. So again, um, if you apply this to our decisions, you can understand how like saying that our decisions come from nothing does not provide any kind of rational evidence or anything to suggest that therefore the decision is free will, freely willed. Okay, we're running out of time. Two minutes. Probabilities are inconsequential to the question of free will. Okay, probabilities are the way quantum mechanics as a tool measures or predicts the behavior, the behavior of subatomic particles. The behavior of subatomic particles is not probabilistic. Again, the behavior of subatomic particles is not probabilistic. The method or mechanics of measuring the particle is probabilistic. Okay, now some people, some physicists, I've got to get into this a little, some people say, well, you can't separate the measuring of the particle from the particle behavior in, in the quantum level. And I explain that because, like, in other words, if you're measuring the, an electron with a single um, photon, you know, the measuring process is going to affect the, the uh, behavior of the particle that's being measured. It's going to alter its momentum. But it's not altering pro it probabilistically. You know, it hits it at a certain speed, at a certain direction. The momentum is going to go in a certain way. We can't know that, but, but that, you know, the behavior of that um, particle is not probabilistic. Okay, this is a good show. I'm glad I did this. It's been, you know, I should have done this a long time ago, but free will is impossible, you know. Um, matter, the universe is not probabilistic. Quantum mechanics is probabilistic, and quantum mechanics requires that first series of classical measurements on the groups of subatomic <coughs> particles, you know, to create the data set, data set that's absolutely necessary to derive the probabilities. So in other words, you need quantum mecha classical mechanics for cl uh, quantum mechanics to work. That's all we have time for. Thanks for watching. In the future, we're just going to go over this and why this matters. This is a very important topic. Thanks for watching.